nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, es benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et anora mortis nostre. Amen. Nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. In secular. This is Timothy Flanders with the meaning of Catholic. Jesus is King. Welcome to the Terror of Demons Morning Show with co-hosts Kennedy Hall and Jeremiah Bannister and special guest today, the Byzantine Scotus. Scotus, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. It is a wonderful the dream. Yes. At <laughs> <laughs> five in the morning. Uh, it's actually 2 a.m. Uh, Pacific. Yeah. Uh, yeah, still the middle of the night for me. <laughs> no, no. Where, where are you? I, I, this whole time I was thinking you were East Coast. No, I'm by Seattle. I grew up around no. the East Coast. So that's no. why I act East Coast. Oh, <laughs> two in the morning. Oh, goodness. So, so <laughs> SCOTUS has beaten everyone with a, a 2 a.m. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a stay up late or wake up. It, it's in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, welcome to the third week after Epiphany. Uh, this is the final full week of the technical, the Christmas, Christmas season, which ends February 2nd, uh, mm -hmm. Candlemas. Then we have, we have five Sundays after Epiphany this year. So there's three more weeks until Septuagesima. Lent is coming. Septuagesima is February 13. <laughs> Ash Wednesday is March. I believe it's March 1st, March 2nd, March 1st or 2nd. So Lent is coming. Let's uh, gear up uh, Exodus 90 or whatever is going on. Uh, before we get into our last, this is going to be a last libertarian topic. We, we've been hammering Kennedy for about uh, <laughs> three months now. Yeah. He's been a real good sport. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to start Catholic masculinity. So we're going to go through Kennedy's book because he deserves it at this point. Um, it's now out. The new reprint is out. Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Catholic Masculinity. Um, I actually wasn't sent a copy, so I don't even know. Oh, I'm goody, I'll this, tell but, that. Uh, I, I have the collector's edition. Where's, mm -hmm. where's the collector's edition? It's under here somewhere. Oh, here it is. This is the collector's edition uh, with the old cover. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Terror of Demons, uh, we're going to go through this book and uh, promote it for Lent. It's a great, it's a great Lenten book. Uh, mm -hmm. Put some, uh, I, it, there's a great line in it somewhere. Wake up and Just smell the sulfur. Wake up and smell the sulfur. Yeah, that's uh, one of Kennedy's one-liners <laughs> in this book that yeah. I love. Yeah, the, yeah. Chapter one: The devil is real and he wants your soul. Chapter two: Effeminate men. Chapter three: Tame the horse. Chapter four: Do not remove your sandals. You stand on unholy ground. Chapter five: The devil's playground. Oh, this is gonna be fantastic. Okay, so <laughs> get excited for Lent. We're gonna go through Terror of Demons. Um, so today we're talking about libertarianism, the final episode with business and SCOTUS. SCOTUS, before we get into our topic, uh, what's new with you? What's going on with, uh, SCOTUSM and your programming? Yeah. Um, I'll have coming up soon, a discussion with somebody about why Christians shouldn't fear death. Um, that was his thesis project at Thomas Aquinas college. That'll be a fun discussion. And coming up in a month on um, Pints with Aquinas, I will be having a debate with Jimmy Aiken about the age of the universe. So that'll be fun as well. 
Huh. And <clears throat> um, also at some point, I think in, also in around a month, I'll be having a roundtable discussion with another Catholic, uh, two Orthodox and two Protestants on the works of um, the biblical theologian James Jordan. And oh, uh, besides, I that, heard you mention James stuff. Jordan uh, yeah. and Peter Lightheart. Both those guys, they used to be connected with like the theonomic and theocratic Christian reconstructionism. In fact, Lightheart, if I remember right, used to even be into public stoning uh, and yeah, eventually they, switched over to that being excommunication. Yeah, yeah they bro broke yeah. off from that movement and came to something, I think, a lot closer to a sort of integralist view of things. Um, not exactly, but that's a lot closer to where they moved, where they're still not secularists, um, yeah. but neither were they in the sort of theonomy circles. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know that was... so. Uh, that was like... Um old school puritan uh mince Munzer sort of you should read um weirdo. gary north yeah, gary, gary north has an article yes, on man. um on the economics of stoning and why stoning is yes. the best form of punishment and his argument is that it's the most economically efficient form of execution and and in fairness to him beyond that <laughs> it's because he's he, he's a libertarian he's kind of a in a weird place with that uh, but he used to be in fact he was the only uh person to ever write speeches for ron paul for example um so like any he, he, <laughs> hey he ron paul's a catholic i found out yeah wait, i that's a fascinating thing you mentioned that that yeah. you heard that on on tom woods he goes to um, the anglican ordinariate yeah oh, wow the uh but i was going to say about gary north the other the other point about it was that it's um uh sociocentric that it's the community that actually takes part in that and that it's there's a reason why he makes the the argument that there's a reason why some sin crimes in the old testament would require you know slaying with a sword and others with fire and others with stones and why it's not just random but that there's even the symbolism associated with that sin and the punishment of that sin is significant so if you want to it's at least <laughs> it's an interesting ride yeah. you know and i have a lot of gary north books so i think it's i think no, it's I, fun I, that I, you mentioned any of those names i used to be a uh, part of the tyler uh, school of Christian Reconstruction. So yeah, I'm no, I think Gary North's a good guy and stuff. Um, yeah, speaking yeah. of Ron Paul and Catholicism, I discovered that Ron Paul once gave a talk for the Fatima Center. If anyone has a copy of that anywhere, wow. knows where I can find that, please send it to me because I'm very <laughs> yeah. curious. Yeah. Oh, definitely, excellent. Well, with, with that, Ron Paul. So libertarianism, uh, Scotus. What is your critique of the libertarian experience? Yeah, so I'll start off maybe with some areas I agree with libertarians, because I think there's a lot of areas that I agree with them, often to the point where I think I get accused sometimes by some of the more um, favorable um, towards the state integralists. So I would make a uh, critique of the Federal Reserve. I would heavily agree with libertarians on that. Um, a, num a lot of contemporary foreign policy I would agree with libertarians on. Um, Really, the whole uh, concept that the modern state is flawed, I would agree with. And I think that um, Hans Hermann Hoppe, for example, has done a good job of turning away from a modern idea that we have to have this totalitarian state. And he instead wants to move towards a system where you don't there's no monop single monopoly on violence, and rather there's different authorities within different spheres. And I think this is where I start getting into the problems I have with libertarianism is I think Hoppe fundamentally misunderstands important parts about the Middle Ages and how they conceived of law in the Middle Ages. And this is where 
I would then start to depart. So I think on, maybe I could say on policy, there's many areas I would agree with libertarians on, but that I don't think that that then moves over into libertarianism as a philosophy. So I would define libertarianism as a philosophy. From what I've heard, I've read quite a bit of people like Tom Woods and Hans Hermann Hoppe and others, that they seem to say that it is the non-aggression principle is the essential core element of libertarianism. So Kennedy, I'd be curious, would you agree with that the non-aggression principle is sort of the core element of libertarianism? Uh, it's one of them, I guess. Uh, but I would, first you'd have to define um, what is meant by libertarianism insofar as of approaching it from a perspective of natural rights over approaching it from perspective of economics um, because the, the, the trajectory that somebody begins their libertarian pursuit let's say um, that makes a big difference so just for example the thing that brought me to libertarianism was actually the Austrian economics mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the natural rights part of it I had already believed and uh, so that wasn't an issue for me um, I will say a word about uh, uh, the non-aggression principle as well, though. Um, the, 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 the disconnect that happens with libertarian thinking and traditional Catholic thinking is that the thinkers behind libertarianism originally were obviously not Catholic. I mean, I think Hayek was a baptized Catholic, but anyway. You need, he had a deathbed reconversion to the he church. Did. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, so when a man, so when you read the progenitors of the libertarian school, men like Bastiat, for example. Uh, there are errors to be sure, but there are many truths. Um, you find that it's it's been an exercise of rediscovering or discovering in a new age or discovering in a, in a post-Christendom age or, or, or a declining Christendom, we'll put it that way, uh, truths that for many centuries were self-evident to a classically thinking people. So when you find things like the non-aggression principle, at least the way that I understand it, is that it's essentially just a principle of justice. Because that's what justice is as well. You can only ever give a man what he's due. You can't give him what he's not due and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I can never aggress on a man who hasn't committed a crime. Um, so this is why, for example, in libertarianism, there's a dichotomy of um, somebody can say they believe in the non-aggression principle, but at the same time, they're pro-death penalty. Or I guess I never knew this. <laughs> Apparently, hmm. some of them are pro stoning, um, which is yeah. that's a whole there's a small there's a small flash. remnant. I didn't of know that. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So so non aggression principle, sure, but I would qualify it as the as the um, the uh, the axiomatic assumption that there has to be justice behind every political or economic interaction. And just yeah. just for viewers, are, are you defining no uh, the non aggression as the state must guard against? Just theft and fraud and that type of thing. Is that what you're talking about? Me? I, both of y'all. Well, we, I would I would that's that's one of the core tenets of okay. libertarian. Just just reducing the state to uh enforcing contracts, um, no fraud, no theft, no no violence between peoples. Yeah, yeah. That's the state's role. That's the non aggression principle. That's a right? primary role of the state. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I do want to get into the whole natural rights things. I think there are serious issues with how um, the Austrian liber Austro libertarian thinkers conceive of rights. But before I get into that, as you were mentioning, you think the role of the state, and here we're simply defining state, I assume, as just the governing authority, not necessarily the modern state. Um, 
we want to say the state is the governing authority. What do you say if it's only limited to stopping theft and murder and crimes like that? Would you say then it's not to produce to not to reach the common good because it seems that classically the purpose of the state is for the sake of the common good and not simply to stop um theft and murder can you define common good yeah the, i would say the common good is it's defined i think it's in the catechism as the sum total of all conditions for the flourishing both of individuals and society as a whole right so okay. with, this is one of my, i think the fundamental issue Austro-libertarianism gets into is this um, methodological individualism. So people are conceived of only as these individuals and that society as a whole um, doesn't really exist. It's only a construct of the people who live within it. And this, I think, misses the fact that there is, in fact, a formal cause to the whole society and that the people who make it up are the material cause of the society. Okay, so I would disagree that it's a methodological individualism um, because the fundamental precept of Austrian economics is something called catalactics. Do you, do you know what that is? I haven't heard of that specific word, but okay. yeah. So catalactics is the crux of economics according to Mises et al., etc. And catalactics is by definition a social enterprise. Um, so to say that libertarianism or Austro-libertarianism, let's call it, because it is possible for somebody to be an Austrian economically and then have different views on, let's say, the minutia of governance. So that would be, it's, it's possible to distinguish two, but they're very closely related. Catalactics is the economic science that you arrive at a price point by your interactions with other people. So you can't have Austrian economics without some sort of social interaction. So... Well whether or not the persuasion of somebody is individualist, yeah. the actual science itself requires a social sort of setting. So it can't yeah, be individualist the, on its own. There's a great paper on this from um, Eve Simon. Um, it's a famous um, 20th century Thomist where he draws the point that what you're conceiving of there is these interactions of economics mm -hmm. are not actually common goods, right? So when we have two people interacting in the marketplace, both mm -hmm. of them are seeking a distinct good that they have decided that it, it benefits both of them in receiving the private goods they want to work together and make some sort of exchange versus he gives the example of a common good of a sports team, right? So the sports team all competes together in order to win the game, not for any individual on that team, but for the team as a whole. And the role the coach plays as authority is to coordinate the various members of that sports team all to seek in the common good of winning the game. And likewise, yeah. But the analogy fails because there's different sports and there's different reasons why you'd play. Yeah, no, he's not saying we shouldn't engage in economic interaction. It's simply that we can't conceive of societies simply through economic interaction. So society, but what you're describing there is still ultimately two individuals seeking private goods within the marketplace interacting together both to better seek their own private good rather than working together to but they have to work together in order to seek that good that's yeah, the thing but so you can't say that somebody is seeking their private good 
and it's not working with somebody else. I can't well, get shoes. Okay, I don't make them, so I have to work with the shoemaker. Yes, but do you participate within a common good in the end between you and the shoemaker, right? You yes. receive shoes. The, the shoemaker receives money. Mm -hmm. You now participate within separate things. The shoemaker participates within the money he has received, and you participate within the goods that are received from wearing shoes. But mm -hmm. those are two distinct goods that there's no longer a common good between the two of you. There's simply how, an how interaction to receive private goods. Would it, would it help to use an example other than shoes, but something that's actually immoral? No, well, I'm just throwing it out. For well, guys, sake let, me, what... let me let me answer this because okay. yeah. yeah, the common good is inherent in that because I'm trying to put shoes on my kids. Here's 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 def, here's, a, here's the uh, there's here are some characteristics of the state according to Catholic Encyclopedia. Just to break it down a second here, yeah. So the goal of the state is the temporal happiness of man and its and its proximate purpose, the preservation of external juridical order and the provision of a reasonable abundance of means of human development in the interests of its citizens and their posterity. So. I need shoes. I can't make shoes. I pay somebody to make my kid's shoes. He needs money. He can't make money. He does work for somebody to give him money. That's like, there's that's common good par excellence. That's why I was asking if there would be a good idea to use a negative thing, like well, saying, hold on, just saying yeah, sorry, heroin, yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. Like, I, or, or, steroids or whatever. We get, you know, someone can say, well, what's the benefit of heroin? Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not feeling too hot. You know, like, should we what does that you know, have to do with the common good? But that's my point is that you're still the two individuals are coming together. One guy's making money off of dealing. The other guy's getting a benefit that he mm -hmm. can't do by himself. And I'm saying, would it be better? Because the analogy we're using here is one that's a shoes. Well, we can point to that as that's that's more favorable to a common good than well, it would be if we use something that may, in fact, not be something that would be uh, preferable. Yeah, <laughs> I, so, yeah, I that's the only reason I brought that... it up. Yeah, I do think that, right, the marketplace is necessary for the achievement of the common good, right? So if there was no marketplace, right, then the shoemaker wouldn't be able to get money to buy food to feed his children. And Kennedy wouldn't be able to buy shoes to give shoes to his kids and they would have to walk around barefoot, right? So there, the marketplace has to exist for the common good uh, for us to be able to achieve the common good, my point is only that marketplace interactions themselves are not common goods. And so the entirety of the state can't simply be reduced to marketplace interactions in the state upholding marketplace interactions. Now, doesn't the libertarian argue that uh, the Austrian economic system of all these interactions, all these private interactions equal a sum total of a common good because the shoemakers have to compete with one another to make the best shoes so that that, that creates a common good. Isn't that the argument? Well, there could be a good case that maybe a sort of very free market capitalist system would be the best economic system conducive to the common good. My objection only is that we can't consider the economic system within itself the common good there, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I don't I don't believe that. That's not required by libertarian to believe that the system is the end in and of itself. Yeah, but, uh, the, the, but it, it's like what the encyclopedia says here, mm -hmm. where it says that... Um, the goal of the state is the temporal happiness of man and its proximate right. purpose, its preservation, et cetera. So um, the temporal happiness of man will necessitate a, a um, situation where the temporal goods can be achieved in order to make that man happy. So the market being 
a fundamental aspect of libertarian thought isn't the end of libertarian thought, but it's an axiom of it. So, well, you know, uh, there's no, uh, back to um, Jeremiah's statement about heroin, for example, um, the, the, the idea of a market doesn't tell you what's moral and what's immoral, just the same way that, for example, the idea of medicine doesn't tell you what's good to do to a person or not. It just tells you what happens. Uh, and what will work with the human body and what won't work with the human body. You're going to have to apply your moral principles on how you're supposed to apply those things. With something like heroin, uh, this is something that often comes up. It's like, well, you know, you can say that it's good to sell shoes and because there's a good that comes out of it, you could say that it's good to sell heroin. Well, objectively speaking, uh, this is, if we're being just uh, very non-emotional here or sort of um, just dry in our... Uh, uh, assessment of this it would objectively be a good if somebody sold heroin and then bought uh not selling the heroin but if somebody needed food and because they were starving and the way that they achieved that money was by selling something that was used for something immoral eating that food that they bought with that money would still objectively be something that was good for that person's body the problem is is that it's obviously not immoral or that it's obviously immoral to try to get somebody stoned because then that's a sin and so on and so forth yeah but that doesn't mean that uh, the mechanism that allows that to happen is somehow immoral in itself. Yes, but my point would be more that, right, the libertarian wanting to say the only purpose of the state is to stop um, acts of aggression, right? So theft or fraud or harm on someone else. That if the only points are those, right? That's distinct from seeking the temporal happiness of man, which is the common good. Right, yeah, so it, we don't we don't even define what the common good is. Well, I would say it is the temp the temporal happiness of man, and the reason I use the words common good here is this is the words used by all of the scholastics pretty much universally in every tradition, mm -hmm. and is used by many many popes and many encyclicals. So mm -hmm. it seems to me the libertarian backlash to the words common good, it to me is troubling. There, um, what is the backlash? I don't understand. The backlash to, um, right, so if you bring up the idea of the common good, right, you're saying, well, we can't really define the common good. It seems like a vague notion. But it is simply, as you point out, the temporal happiness of man, right? Mm -hmm. It's not this vague notion. And so that's the purpose of the state, not simply to stop acts of aggression between people, right, of fraud the or... The ultimate end of libertarianism is not only to stop acts of aggression. Yeah, because they also have, for example, libertarians are pro-death penalty. Yeah, so that's 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 a that's a was it retributive justice? What's the, anyway the three types of justice? I can't remember. Yeah. So there is an aspect again where uh, uh, this is the thing. Even if you were in a in a Catholic integralist framework, the primary role of the 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 most of the activity of any state is going to be stopping aggression. Yeah. I mean, like enforcing a contract is stopping aggression. Because, uh, Tim, for example, one of the objections that you had to libertarianism early on in our discussions was that there was no mechanism, at least in your opinion, uh, in the libertarian framework to stop a stronger party from taking care of, taking advantage of a weaker party. Well, I would say that applies to government too. Hmm. <laughs> Who's going to stop the government from taking advantage of me? Um, uh, but that's not true in libertarianism because we can't say, for example, that the stronger party just happens to be the one that has more money. Then we just become Marxist, basically. Um, the stronger party would be someone who has some sort of advantage and they can either use that morally or not morally. So if a libertarian framework says 
You're not allowed to defraud the man of his wages, which is biblical, by the way, because he cries out to heaven. Um, then that's stopping the stronger party from taking advantage of the weaker party. But it's def but it's definitely sort of the quote unquote non-aggression principle. Yeah. Um, for example, people will say that libertarians support usury, uh, but usury is essentially fraud. That's essentially ultimately what it turns out to be. Um, because even in our modern day, we can't say, for example, that you can never charge interest because then you couldn't actually operate in the economy because you get the money from the federal bank that charges you interest flat out. So you kind of have to charge interest, otherwise you can't continue to operate. Or you're going to have to charge some sort of other service fee, but you know, <laughs> that's just another word for interest at this point. Um, yeah. In addition, um, one of the main purposes of the state is to make sure that the church has her rights, for example. Um, and I believe... For example, if we looked at something like something like a, I don't know, golden age or a good application of Catholic social thought, we would find a time when we had these things called the papal states. And in these places called the papal states, the church literally owned the property. And because the church owned the property, it was her role to govern as she saw fit. But even she had to operate within the bounds of justice. Tim, remind me, um, I always forget the young man's name. He w It was the story of under Pius IX where he was a Jewish boy who was baptized. and then oh, ended yeah. up What's the name of that child? I don't remember his name. Uh, maybe uh, Scotus remembers that. Pull the book for the yeah, show. Yeah, I don't know the you. names. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to tell this story to uh, to demonstrate how, uh, just demonstrate a, a point here, for example, about what the state's supposed to do and how the, the church is higher than the state, um, but they're distinct. Okay, so... Basically, there's a story, and it's a true story. It was under Pius IX in the 1800s. And uh, Edgardo in... Mortara Levi. That's right. So um, there was a young man. He was an infant or very small, and he was um, he was going to die. And the nurse who was Catholic, I believe she decided to baptize him or have him baptized or whatever to save his soul. It, he was supposed to be terminal. Anyway, he survived, but he came from a Jewish family. And then the... Jewish family decided that they weren't going to raise him Catholic. They had refused to. So ultimately, the civil civil authority in the papal state came and actually took the child and put him in a home or a school where he would have received a Catholic education. Now, that's admittedly a very hard pill to swallow. Um, you know, even if you're a, I mean, if you're a parent, you know, no matter how integralist, monarchical, libertarian, so you might be, just this idea that you can have your kid taken, it's, it's, a, it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, but nonetheless, there was nothing that was ultimately immoral about it because um, the ultimate end of man is to save his soul and the state is supposed to facilitate that and the parents refuse to give the child his rights therefore they aggressed against him by damaging his, or, or, or risking his eternal salvation yeah. now the well, thing is though what's interesting about this case is that the only reason that there was any justification on behalf of the papal state to do this was because he actually belonged to the church if he didn't belong to the church they wouldn't have taken him from the parents um, so even in a, uh, so because the parents have the natural rights to raise their children, which as for example, it says as well in the encyclopedia that essentially um, the goal of the state is to govern its citizens, um, but is only superseded by something that is a higher law. So basically a divine law. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, that to me is an, is, is uh, a good example of the understanding of the natural rights of citizens which is a big basis for libertarianism, um, is that even in a papal state, which is an authentically and by governmental decree, a Catholic state, 
um, even there, the natural rights of the non-Catholics have to be respected, and they can't actually be forced to do things, for example. Uh, they can't be told that they have to believe certain things. Like they can't be told they have to, you know, dress a certain way and so on and so forth. Um, but then when they become subjects of the church, then, then then they're subject to a higher authority. So libertarianism essentially is the idea that you have natural rights and that the state, as the cat or as the encyclopedia says, the Catholic encyclopedia is to secure your temporal happiness, uh, which means that at a purely natural level, the state, unless there is a higher authority that that uh, governs these things. So in a Catholic state, you would have an explicitly Catholic place. But for example, in many places, you don't have a Catholic state. So in those places, uh, what is common to all men? Well, what is common to all men is the natural law, hence where you get natural rights, or at least an understanding of them. What else is common to man? all men is the Ten Commandments, which is why libertarianism enforces basically the basically the, the seven of the Ten Commandments in some capacity, you know, coveting, and relates to theft and murder and, you know, it's all these sorts of things. Um, even respecting your parents is, is, is supported by libertarianism because uh, every, every serious libertarianism would, a libertarian would tell you that, for example, uh, they don't have the right to tell you to put your kids in schools. You don't want to put them in because they're your children until they, age, until they reach a certain age. You actually have some sort of dominion over them. Um, so I don't see the conflict with the basic idea of a natural rights-based philosophy. Uh, because I see it illustrated in Catholic history, for example, even in a Catholic state. And I also see it as consistent with the basis of basically the whole moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. So I'm I'm not really sure where libertarianism fails in that and how it could be against the common good. Yeah. Just, well, just, just let, let me just cut it and just say Mortara uh, became a Catholic priest and he venerated Pius IX as his uh, spiritual father. Yeah. And he received a miracle of healing from Pius IX, uh, who was later beatified at uh, Mortara, Father Mortara, and he preached the gospel to Jews and everything. Great story here in De Matei's book on Pius the, 12, Pius the Ninth. Okay, sorry. And, I, and for the sake of definition, I put this in the private chat, but I, I may as well say it publicly. Uh, common Good, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1924-1924. The common good comprises, quote, the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or as individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more, easy, uh, more easily, and 1925, the common good consists of three essential elements, respect for and promotion of the fundamental rights of the person, uh, prosperity or the development of the spiritual and temporal goods of society, and the peace and security of the group and of its members. Yep. Yeah. That sounds good. So, so I wanted to get in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go I ahead, wanted to go get ahead. into a little bit with um, natural rights and sort of, sort of moving in that direction, because it seems to me that the view of natural rights you're articulating here to at least some degree is not fully the libertarian view of rights, right? So the reason that Mortara um, could be taken by the church and raised by the church, yes, it was partly that the church now owned him, but the other part of it is that he had a right to be raised um by Catholic by a Catholic family so that he could learn the truths of the faith because he was now baptized. And so now as a member of the church and as a um, child who is a member of the church had a right to these things. Now this is, we consider a positive right, right? So this is not something that simply has, he has a right not to be aggressed upon, but rather he has a right, which now other people have an obligation to fulfill towards him. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So um, Pius IX now had an obligation towards him to raise him in the faith, just as he had that right um, to be raised. And then in exchange, because he's now being raised by Pius IX, he now has a duty of obedience towards Pius mm -hmm. IX, just as Pius IX now has a right of authority over him. And yeah, so these rights... So yeah. let me just add there, though. Um, his parents were aggressing on him because they were refusing to give him what he needed, like not feeding him. So for example, like a libertarian would not say that because, you know, your parents are your parents and you're not feeding your kid, the state can't intervene. They'd be like, no, you're aggressing against your child in a way that's not mm. proper. So it still fits because they were aggressing against his eternal salvation by refusing to give him what was his due. Well, actually, it's not the, the case that um, all libertarians hold that way. For example, Murray Rothbard does not hold that a parent has to feed their child. Um, he says that if the child essentially isn't being fed, the child has a right to run away from home and assert their own rights as an as a human. Um, but he does okay. not say that a um, parent has a right of obligation towards their child. And I think where this goes. Um, I think it's in the Ethics of Liberty, if I remember correctly. It's where he's yeah, discussing let's, also let's that you have a right to sell your child. Though. What's the fine here clearly, though? Because Mary Rothbard says a lot of things. And mm -hmm. is he saying that? Is he saying that a, a, a parent does not have to feed their child, meaning they're not under an obligation to feed them, or that if a child is not being fed, that they can go he, and find food? He seems pretty clear that it's just simply not an obligation because that would be a positive right. And Rothbard seems to reject all positive rights whatsoever, that you only have the negative right not to be aggressed upon and your property not to be aggressed upon. Because otherwise, this undermines Rothbard's whole system of rights, because Rothbard's <laughs> whole system of rights is based on a concept of self-ownership, that nobody else can own you, unless perhaps by contrast, a contract. I can't remember if Rothbard, I think he does deny that you're even allowed to sell yourself. Uh, some libertarians would affirm you have the right to sell your own body. Um, but assuming that you don't have then the right to sell yourself, Rothbard would say then you have the complete right of self-ownership over yourself. If a child has the right to be fed by their parents, then they have a right over their parents. And they now, in some sense, not because the parent at any point agreed to this, but the parent, by nature of being the parent of this child, now has a right to feed this child. And the child has... Um, the parent now has this obligation. And so in some sense, the child now has some degree of ownership over the parent in that they own a certain amount of the fruits of their parents' labor enough to feed them. Okay. And okay, so, so this, here is Rothbard's yeah. quote. Okay. Uh, the parent should have the legal right not to feed the child. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, well, if, I'm, if we're being honest here, one of the old ways of discipline is, you know, stop doing that. You're going to bed with no supper. Yeah. So the parent has legal right to not feed their child. Yeah. yeah to a certain I mean, degree, seriously, yes. right? Because I mean, that that's just objectively true. And here's the thing about reading Rothbard. Okay. Uh, I say this in my upcoming article. For one, when's that coming out, Tim? One Peter five. Uh, later today at 3 p.m. Today. Okay. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> 3 p.m. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. It, and um, that's the 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 Catholic libertarian monarchy is the yeah. name of the article at one Peter five hmm. by Kennedy Hall. <laughs> so um, Rothbard, like reading Rothbard, is like reading Plato or something. And what I mean by that is he takes every single idea that he has to its extreme logical end, um, almost for the sake of 
it's almost like a game. Like he's just like, how where can I take this? Um, which is helpful for thought because at least you see all the potential iterations of it. Um, but Murray Rothbard is not the only libertarian thinker, and many libertarians disagree with aspects of Murray Rothbard. And if you if you read Rothbard over his 40, 50 years of academic life, Murray Rothbard disagrees with yeah, Rothbard. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, this is like, for example, you know, uh, we can get into the nitty gritty of Catholic governance, like Aquinas and, and Augustine would talk about, you know, you could tolerate prostitution, you know, and uh, it's like, that's pretty gross. And it's pretty repulsive to think that Thomas Aquinas would like consider the thing prostitution and be like, eh, you can't really stop it. So, you know what I mean? Um, but it's not as if he's some, not as if they're promoting it. So if Murray Rothbard's saying that technically speaking, a parent has the authority over whether or not they're going to feed their children and how they're going to do it, that's just technically true. Well, I, I think that this is where I get to my fundamental issue with libertarianism, right? Is that Thomas Aquinas and Augustine, they say that the state can tolerate prostitution if it was the case that it would be better, it would cause more issues essentially to try and crack down on it. Mm -hmm. But versus the libertarian would say that the state has to um, not crack down on prostitution because it is the natural right of those people to choose if they want to be prostitutes, that they have a right to continue doing that. And if another person wants to um, uh, purchase that service, that it's now two people um, consenting adults, that now the state does not have a say within that versus fundamentally the reason that Thomas Aquinas and Augustine say so is because the state can tolerate it, not that it has to tolerate it. And I think this goes back to the fundamental issue of natural rights in, um, for example, Rothbard and Hoppe are the two people I'm thinking of here in specific where they base it on um, self-ownership, right? So for them, the reason that you have all these rights and the reason the state can't aggress upon that is because you own yourself. And so the state doesn't have the right for these two people who both own themselves. Mm -hmm. The state doesn't have a right to step in and say something there. But this is simply not how... <laughs> Um, natural rights are conceived of in a in classical philosophy. So if you go all the way back to um, Roman philosophy, uh, ancient Roman legal system, you have a distinction there between use, what we would translate now as right, and lex, which we would translate as law. And for them, right is actually not how we would use it almost at all. For them, right is the object of justice. So the child has a right to the, their parents raising them because the fulfillment of that justice is in the proper raising of that child. Mm -hmm. Now, if we go on, this develops a little bit more later on, especially among the scholastics and especially among some of the later scholastics mm -hmm. to emphasize a subjective sense of right. So the subject themselves has a right. So you have a right then over your child, for example, and the child, or you have a right over your property. But the problem is, this is for all the scholastics rooted within natural law. So there's first primarily natural law. And then from that arises rights, which exist within already pre-existing networks of obligation. Versus, um, if you go to Thomas Hobbes, I think it's in Leviathan chapter 14, Hobbes is one of the first people to invert 
this relationship between right and law. And Hobbes is very clear on this himself. He says very clearly that lots of people confuse lex and use, and he's going to explain how they actually should be used. And the way he inverts them is he says that you essentially have a right of self-ownership over yourselves. And he says then that this would we would then have the liberty to all kill each other. So what we have to do is set a state over ourselves to stop us from all killing each other. Yeah, yeah, no, and so as a result, yeah. And now I'm not saying that libertarians accept Hobbes's system in which rights exist, but they do accept his view that rights, the uh, use uh, is based upon self-ownership rather than use being gr grounded within the lex naturalis that pre-exists it. How is that the case that libertarians don't accept the natural view of rights, the, the old school view? Well, just clear if you go to Rothbard and his argument for self-ownership or you go to Rothbard's Hoppe and his system. Rothbard is not the only libertarian well, can, thinker. Can you point me to a libertarian who holds that natural law is the basis for right? Yeah, one sec. Of the name I can't remember how to pronounce it because it's a, a weird Dutch name. Uh, I have it open here. It is by. Hold on a sec. It's loading. It's PDF. Yeah, that's okay. <clears throat> Eric von Knut Leden. Yeah, so um, Quinault Ludden didn't consider himself a libertarian. He considered himself a classical liberal. And I'm not even sure if he entirely falls into that category himself. Mm -hmm. um, okay, but hold on. But there has to be some just, hold on. Hold on a sec. Yeah. So what you're saying is that because there's this ancient view of how rights are, or, or law and use mm -hmm. are conceived, um, that there are people within the libertarian framework who confuse that. Well, I, I don't deny that at all. I, hold on, hold on a second. Yeah, here. Hold sorry, on yeah. a second here. Okay. Because this is the case with literally every single political philosophy. So, for example, you could say I'm a monarchist. We could be everything from a Saudi caliphate supporting monarchist to eugenic loving Anglican Queen of England. But monarchy itself is a system and it has a view of the human person and it, it basically views that there's a way to govern. So, there are thinkers within libertarianism that have different ideas about debatable topics. Because even within Catholic intellectual thought, for example, um, Suarez is critiqued by certain, let's say, older scholastic thinkers or people mm -hmm. that follow the older scholastics versus sort of the, the late scholastics. Suarez is critiqued by some as being a progenitor, for example, of libertarianism, because he believes liberty is, he views liberty differently than, he almost views it as a negative thing versus a positive thing. So, you know, your, your liberty is basically your right not to be stopped from doing evil things, essentially. Whereas yeah. uh, the older thinkers would say it's more of a positive thing. Liberty is your right to do good things. Both of them are true. It just depends, it depends on the emphasis. So I'm not a Hobbesian, uh, because I'm not a heretic. Um, but there are parts of what Hobbes says that are objectively true. Just like, for example, I'm a Platonist, but I'm not a pagan. Um, that I, that, that brings up, like, can 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 Kennedy take some libertarian stuff and still be Catholic? Well, of course I, I think he that's can. The question, just, right? yeah. That's uh, but, the, but this is this is. I need to need to go on this train of thought here for a second. That's though. okay. Yeah. Right, there are many errors in libertarian thought because libertarian thought is not infallible because it's not from God. So I don't. It doesn't bother me that I find errors in it any more than I find errors in somebody's mathematics. 
doesn't bother me that I find errors in libertarianism any more than I find errors in Platonism or Aristotelianism. I mean, there are things that uh, Aristotle and Plato thought that were okay that are like bananas. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we yeah. say, Rothbard said you don't have to feed your kids. That's bananas. Uh, Plato and Aristotle <laughs> yeah. would justify a 40-year-old man right. something yeah, with a 14-year-old boy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. something or other with him. So I'm just, yeah. so I'm just saying, no. okay, these are thinkers who their intellects were not purified by sanctifying grace. That's just a fact, okay? Um, so they have ideas on the natural level that are useful, but then they have errors because they're not thinking from the proper perspective in a metaphysical sense, okay? Fine. That doesn't bother me whatsoever. Also, libertarianism is ultimately a practical approach. Um, it's ultimately a, a practical approach that is reacting to a very impractical age. Let's put it that way. So this is why when you find in the libertarian thinkers, they ultimately start to critique the methods of governance strongly you find this in Ford New Liberty, for example, in the introduction, and that's sort of like the basis, you know, the, that's the Libertarian Manifesto, literally, it's called. Um, you find that they start to critique governments basically in the 1500s or so, which is when I would critique governments mm -hmm. strongly, because that's errors of Protestantism, divine right of kings, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so now we have this revolution that we've been living through, and libertarians basically say, okay, now how do we react to this and have something that is practical? Um, it's going to be debatable how you're going to apply that. For example, some libertarians are anti-death penalty. Uh, some libertarians are pro-death penalty. Murray Rothbard was pro-death penalty, and he came up with an interesting <laughs> solution how you could have a libertarian state where you would still have the death penalty, uh, but not apply it in all cases. And that was someone could have a will that in their will, if they were murdered, that they desire that the person not be killed. The reason, and, and have another punishment. It's a victim's rights. For, yeah. Pardon? Yeah. It, it, victim's rights. That's Gary North uses something similar. For sure. But also yeah, the point yeah, was, yeah. is that you, it was that you can't be a libertarian if you don't believe that there must be justice because it's retribution. It's just like, you steal $10,000. You have to give $10,000 back. You have to give $10,000 more or something because it's not just you give it back. It's that you provide some sort of, it's like penance. <laughs> you know, you did something bad. You have to give something extra because it's a matter of retribution. Okay. Um, so it wasn't that you, you couldn't, it, it was, it, it's not acceptable in libertarianism that you can't punish or you, sorry, it's not, it's not acceptable in libertarianism that a murderer wouldn't be punished, but it's debatable about how they ought to be punished. And that can be something that's left up to I don't know, small communities or something. Uh, so there are many things within libertarian thought that are debatable. There are many things that libertarians themselves disagree with each other on. There are many things that libertarians disagree with each other on vehemently. But that's no different than in the church. I mean, goodness gracious, I have a Franciscan and a and a and a Ignatian <laughs> and a Dominican and a Dominican walk into a bar, and there you've got yourself a forty-seven year theological debate that's going to result in some people saying that the other person's in heresy. Um, so I understand that there are parts of libertarian thinkers that people find objectionable. There are parts of Catholic thinkers that I find objectionable. There are many right-wing integralist <laughs> Catholics who go on about integralism. And I'm like, how on earth are you going to apply that? And they're like, well, the state has to do it. You can't do anything that's unjust. No one can ever do anything that's unjust. I don't care if you're a monarch or a anarcho, whatever, or a Democrat. It doesn't matter what you are. The state can never step in and say, 
you have natural rights, but you have not committed any crime. Nonetheless, I'm going to usurp those rights for the purpose of the state. This consequentialism, it's evil. No one can ever do that. That's what libertarianism is at the heart of, is that we live in an age, and people can call this temporary all you want. Fine, I'll, I'll be a libertarian for three or 400 years, and then when things fix themselves after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, I'll change my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, libertarianism concerns itself with uh, the change in the way that the state operates cannot be underestimated as well. So this is something that um, I've been thinking about as far as the conversation around Catholic social teaching. I've heard many of these critiques before, for example, about, you know, there's these problems, these problems. And then I ask the integralist or the, you know, whoever, whatever someone's political persuasion is, give me an example of something that I can do that's better than what we have now. And how can I do that? So, for example, and this has to be applied to the context of where you live. I live in a province of 15 million people. I know many of the individuals who work in the provincial legislature, sadly. <laughs> um, and uh, two of them, one and a half, are fit to govern. The rest should be in prison. Um, they're evil. They're, they're, they're evil, disgusting human beings. I mean that, I, that sound, might sound a little bit harsh, but they are some of the greatest criminals in the history of Canada, what they've done to people. Every single level of governance in the province of Ontario is corrupt to the bone. When I used to work in uh, the school system, I can't tell you, I mean, there, there are untold stories about the institutionalized waste of the money of the people. And how do they take that money from people? They took that money from people because they said, if you don't give us your money, we're going to put you in prison. And they called it income tax, which is the same thing as racketeering. So um, uh, people can critique the that there are errors in libertarian thinkers, but I don't have a problem with the fact that there are errors in libertarian thinkers because I don't expect to not find errors because I don't think libertarianism is divine. I get upset when I find errors in Catholic theologians because they're held to a higher standard. But when I get upset, I don't get upset when I find errors in somebody who's spitballing about some hypothetical thing about how much food somebody's supposed to feed his kid. Okay. So um, it's all well and good that there are errors, but libertarianism is a practical, applicable approach to how you deal with a post Christendom state. That's essentially what the, the crux of the matter is. People may conceive of it differently from my vantage point. Uh, I don't see any other political system at all. I, I, I can't see one. Democracy is the worst. Uh, fascism is is unique basically to just Mussolini. Franco had some sort of quasi-fascism. Salazar had a Christian corporatism. Maurice Duplessis in Quebec had something like that. But all of those places required conversion. And even fascism, ultimately, this is going to tick off some people, is ultimately liberalism uh, because um, the definition of... Uh, the definition of what is moral is defined by the state. So it's relativist, which means it's liberal, which means it's liberal. Even if their persuasions of the individuals and the temperaments are very right wing, it doesn't matter. It's still a liberal framework. Hence why it can turn into something like national socialism if you're not careful. Uh, monarchy, what, the Queen of England? Who, who am I going to get? Am I going to get, what's her name? Uh, what's the chick's name from the states that married the, uh, Meghan Markle. She can be my next queen. I mean, you know, there is not a single serious political school of thought that can offer any benefit whatsoever to anyone who lives in a revolutionary post-Christendom state. The only people that have the practical solutions, not just high-minded ideas, not just, well, we used to do things like this 400 years ago, can't be applied today. 400 years ago, we did not have the Federal Reserve. 400 years ago, we did not have nuclear bombs. 400 years ago, we did not have surveillance state. 400 years ago, we did not have automobiles. Henry VIII couldn't do with an entire army that Barack Obama could do with a phone call, okay? what Justin Trudeau can do with a TikTok video. 
Okay. Right now, for example, I'm uh, we're staring food shortages down the barrel of a gun here in Ontario, in Canada. And uh, there are about 10 to 20,000 different trucks that are driving up towards Ottawa to do a protest. Um, the federal, uh, the point is they're going to park their trucks and shut down the economy. Okay. This is what the modern state gives us. This is what government intervention gives us. Every single time in human history where government uh, having the ability to influence people's economic uh, dealings with one another, when it inserts itself into those things and is prohibitive about what people are allowed to do and not to do, it results in catastrophic failure. Uh, this is just a fact of history. There are certain instances in completely converted and Catholicized peoples where the bishop holds a moral authority and he can say something like, you know, for the sake of the fishermen, I am now requiring everyone to also eat fish on a Wednesday. Fine, that works. But the people are already Catholic or 90% of them are. So 90% of people do what he says. But in an age where there is no moral authority that the state has because it's proven itself to be illegitimate because it kills babies and does uh, drag queen story hours and redefines marriage and so on and so forth. There is no practical solution to any of these problems other than breaking things down and going down to the wood and saying, what are you allowed to do? What is the state allowed to do to you? Full stop. So again, there are problems in libertarian thinkers, but I challenge anyone to say, I have a better solution that will stop the state from trying to put its boot on your neck and jab your kids with experimental medications and make them go listen to trannies reading them a story. Excellent. Kennedy, thank you for the, uh, that, that's the breakdown, uh, gospel of libertarianism. It's a practical solution for our modern age. That's, that's, uh, that's the reasonable solution. Jeremiah, I wanted to say something short and then I want to give SCOTUS the rest of the yeah. time. We've got about eight minutes. Go. I, and by the way, I decided I, I wanted to just, just be a fly on the wall. I just want to just listen. And I think he did rather good, man. I think people were a little surprised. <laughs> like, like this guy's not talking very much. Um, so, and that's rare, but I, I wanted to say just a couple things, just to throw it out there, not even to have any answer in this particular episode, uh, just to think about um, when talking about uh, libertarians and, and uh, concepts of justice and the violation of rights, how would we in that system settle disputes? Okay. And I, I'm just bringing these up. I'm not, as I said, I'm not expecting an answer right here. Um, the settling of disputes. If you have a, uh, a high-minded thinker, a fountainhead in one school of thought and a fountainhead in another school of thought, and both of them have disagreements with each other. Um, and one of those is a violation of justice. And one of them is not. If we have a common society, how is that settled? Number two, I was with you, Kennedy, actually, a lot uh, throughout this until you started using phrases like no serious political school of thought, the only people with practical solutions every time government is involved. Those are really high standards. Um, and I just simply say, for one, talking about a practical solution on a spectrum, if we're at tyranny right here and libertarianism is the antithetical to this, Anything in between is more practical than trying to say we need to institute this in the world of that. So just from an incremental point of view, even from just the, the way that politics works glacially, a practical solution is going to be far more probable in a system from somebody who, let's say, embraces even even Reagan-esque style uh, fusionist economics would be better than more practical in its solution and in its ability to affect change. And the last thing was, you know, talking about the state as it is with the definition of marriage and trannies and permitting abortion. Um, I 
it would be hard, right? And I know that there are a lot of libertarians out there. And, and in fact, an increasing number of them, in fairness, an increasing number who are against the right to abortion, who are against gay marriage, things like that. But it would be a, it would be a tough sell to imagine that you wouldn't have tons of, it, it wouldn't be tranny land, right? It would be hard to imagine that abortion wouldn't be something that maybe would just be all over the place in ways that we don't even imagine now if it was just completely left up to various libertarian mindsets and you'd have to kind of scramble from city to city trying to find somewhere that might not allow it to the extent that so many in the libertarian community as a whole tend to do not entirely but it's just a tendency so i just wanted to just bring those up and say the last thing was every government gets involved it's a catastrophic failure i think that that number one every single society almost in the entire history of mankind even down to tribes has done that and i wouldn't consider all of them i think they lived respectable lifespans sometimes hundreds to thousands of years and all of that is very respectable um for how they did it and what the things that we can learn and glean from them even in the way that they not just in the way they lived but even in the ways they failed um but i think that it's the kind of thing that sometimes when libertarians say that it's kind of easy because they don't have any examples of where it's either done good or bad um they have places maybe in the you know africa and stuff like that that for various purposes has resulted in kind of more anarchistic zone but they really don't have a lot of those little labs to say this is how it would play out in our system and a lot of times it's theoretical doesn't mean it's wrong doesn't mean it shouldn't be tried just means that i don't think that's very fair of an accusation that's all, right, all i want to say Scott, i want to give you 10 15 minutes say whatever you want to say and then we'll close out go ahead yeah so when I was talking when I was listening to you there, I think I agreed with a lot of what you were saying in terms of the problems that we face today and what is practical to do today. And I actually do agree that we shouldn't be immediately trying to directly seize power right now. So there's quite a number of integralists who are very influenced, especially by one integralist theorist, Adrian Vermeule. And um, Vermeule's idea is essentially... Um, we should seek to integrate ourselves as much as possible into the existing state to try and take it over from the inside. And I think he underestimates the degree of rot which liberalism causes um, that I think there is, I agree with you, pretty much nothing there to save. And that to a lot of a degree right now, our goal should simply be to get as free from that as possible. So I do want to agree with you to that extent. But my concern is I don't think that libertarianism, as libertarianism, is merely a practical solution to right now. Libertarianism, as I see it, is fundamentally a political philosophy about how the government should be. Right. So it's saying we're currently here. This is how things ultimately should be. And it seems to me that it's not the case that the ideal state is a libertarian one because we're going to miss these essential things like the state being ordered towards the common good and that the state's not going to end up being ordered to the common good, but rather is going to be ordered to the protection of individual private rights. And ultimately, each person, right, they have right, they have individual rights. 
So for example, we bring up the example of prostitution, right? That each person fundamentally owns themselves within libertarianism. And so the state would not have a right to step in and stop prostitution. Now, St. Thomas also agrees that prostitution, uh, he thought, at least in his day, should be legal. But the reasoning for St. Thomas to do so is that he thought it would cause more harm if the state were to jump in and try to regulate things, right? If he were to come in and arrest every prostitute and everyone who hires a prostitute, this would end up possibly overflowing the prison system. It would drive it underground. Perhaps it would actually lead to more trafficking. These are sort of the arguments that he might make to defend uh, why prostitution perhaps should be legal. But if you notice, those are two very different reasons for prostitution to be legal. On one hand, there is the practical element of it would cause more harm if it were stopped, rather than the state it would be fundamentally immoral for the state to get involved in stopping it. And that goes Hold on there. back. I have to add there. Yeah. That's, the reason why libertarians believe it would be immoral for the state to stop it is because it would cause more harm than good. If a, if a person is themselves a civil libertarian and thinks prostitution is good, that's just their own disordered opinion. Well, it, okay, but the so crux ask, of it is that when the state yeah. intervenes and stops it, it risks becoming something like an Orwellian state. That's so it. it. Yeah, so if, um, let's say, for example, we somehow discover and we could prove that, legal, that making prostitution illegal would lead to um people better being able to achieve their ends would a libertarian then say therefore prostitution should be illegal because for saint thomas he would say that therefore prostitution should be illegal if making prostitution illegal would better help people achieve their natural ends this is hypothetical there's no application for this in history so i don't really have an answer to it like well, this is a fun thought experiment, but it's never. Been, well, it I think it's. Applied. I think it's an important it thought experiment, though, because it's an important thought experiment. Because it goes back, and what I'm a lot more interested how many, in how right now. How many thousands of years of uh, history do we have of prostitution? I believe I'm a young Earth creationist as well, so let's yeah. just call it six thousand right. years. Um, it All has right, never been the case. And by the All way, right, Jeremiah about... said that um, mm -hmm. when I said that it's never been ever a government intervenes. I remember, I started my critique with the 1500s. I'm not talking about all of history. Yeah. Um, so, I was talking about the history of the period yeah, I was referring well, to. Well, um, I want to ask, though, yeah. let's say theoretically we could discover that, right? So let's give another example, something that tends that has been a lot more outlawed throughout history of um, drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Would you say, for example, libertarians would support the legalization of no, all drugs Not the whatsoever? Legalization, the criminalization. Legal is positive. So legalization ins insinuates that the government now regulates the things. All right. Versus... So, they are not going to enforce a ban on it. Those are different things. Mm -hmm. So I, I can say, for example, where I live uh, here in Seattle, I've seen that as a result of marijuana being legal, that it's become very, very socially acceptable out here and mm -hmm. as uh, much more socially acceptable than it was back when I was in the East Coast where it was illegal. Mm -hmm. And that I think this has caused a net negative effect on the common good of the city of Seattle, where now you're seeing a lot more people um, spending their time um, using marijuana. Now, a, a libertarian could object and argue that actually, right, marijuana being illegal, people going to prison for it and uh, cracking and trying to crack down on it, that that causes more suffering, right? 
But here we're locked in a debate, and I think the right debate there, of whether making it illegal or legal, which one will better help people achieve their ends versus, or at least decriminalize. We use the word decriminalized, right? Um, and I think I noticed this as well in um, D.C., where it was simply decriminalized, um, that there was the same issue of it becoming acceptable. But why it's did it decriminalized here? I'm actually yeah. more on Kennedy's side on this issue. Right, but well, I need to believe say it or not. Yeah, more, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Yeah. Yeah. Has it ever been the case that Catholic intellectual tradition has believed that it should be illegal for you to get drunk in your own home? No. Um, OK, so hold on. Yeah. So the sin of uh, intoxication, I mean, I don't think drugs are good, but if somebody, and listen, I want to talk about social acceptance. It's nationally legal here in Canada. <laughs> yeah. This is the marijuana capital of the Western world. Okay. Mm. Um, the reason why it's the marijuana capital of the Western world is because it was already socially acceptable. It became legal because it was something that would, you know, polled properly in public opinion. They had I it think- illegal for... Whole Canada is 154 years old, 155 years old. It was illegal the whole time. Didn't matter. They legalized it a couple years ago because nobody cared. So uh, there is no there is no good argument to say that using drugs should be criminalized by law uh, because you can't enforce it, and it would cause it will always cause more harm than good. It is impossible to find an, an instance in history where you can say, you know, what the state should do? They should walk around and they should be using I don't know drunk sniffing dogs and and kicking down your door to find out if you've had too many glasses of Vinsanto before you went to bed. It's impossible. NCPS. Right. NCPS. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's impossible. Right, so I want to build so There is two... no hypothetical where it could be proven because it can't be proven because it would never work. Yeah, so well, let's go, on let's two... go, Scott, as we, why don't you give your final statement? Yeah. Uh, so let's just let Scotus talk for yeah, the next five, ten minutes and then you can yeah. just kind of have the final word. Go ahead, Scotus. Yeah, so I think that, <clears throat> right, we're seeing here... A fundamental, I think you're missing the overall point I'm trying to make, which is why is it the problem, right? So you're making a point here that in most cases, or perhaps in all cases, the government getting involved makes it harder for people to achieve their ends. And this is fully within the classical tradition to argue that. But that's not the primary libertarian argument against these things. The primary libertarian argument is that it would be intrinsically immoral for the government to get involved in these things. Uh, and you can go to pretty much any libertarian thinker, right? They're complaining. Um, one of their major complaints, for example, about drugs is that it's unfair to throw someone in prison for a nonviolent crime, right? But this is completely against it. So we can look, for example, at Oscar Wilde, as I'm just giving this as another example, maybe you could dispute my example, bring this up as an example. Oscar Wilde uh, in Britain was thrown in prison uh, for many years for sodomy. And this actually caused him to change his views on the issue. And he eventually repented and returned to the Catholic Church. And so this was no, a no, case. no, no, no. Being in prison did not cause him. Grace right, caused him. Well, yeah, right. But um, we're opposing. So you could it. have just had somebody minister in theory. You could have said, you're going to get fined if you're a sodomite, but we're going to send a priest to you every day to counsel you. And he could have converted there as well. Yeah. But so I'm just, so you... these are, these are completely subjective and there, this is not, there's no right. way to verify that well, being in mis- prison, if you're a sodomite is something that makes you convert because we could also say that being in prison uh, is one of the most inhumane things you could do to a person. And look what happens in prison. It's like the murder cat. You think yeah, that, you know, I... you put murderers in prison to stop murder from happening. They just murder 25 people over there. So I just think you're missing, though, the fundamental point, right, which is if theoretically 
this would have helped him reform, right? We can debate whether or not it actually did help him reform. If theoretically it helped him reform, then within the classical tradition, this was a positive good that this was done versus within within um libertarianism right this is intrinsically immoral to do the problem is that someone was privately doing something which didn't harm anyone else and then the government came in and threw them in prison for something they were privately doing which didn't affect anyone else versus the fundamental reason within the classical tradition that we might want to say this should be legal is that it would cause um more harm to make it illegal because it would make it harder for people to achieve their ends. And this is the fundamental problem, right? It's the libertarians going to immediately jump to, it has to be legal because the government getting involved could never intrinsically um, to the nature of the state itself could never be beneficial, not pragmatically. In every case we can come up with, it can never work. The question here is a philosophical one about is the government getting involved intrinsically immoral? And so we cannot even consider the possibility of the government getting involved because of its intrinsically immoral, right? These fundamental philosophical questions do in fact matter because it's going to affect then how we think about applying it, right? So now the debate within the classical uh, Catholic tradition here is going to be a debate about whether legalizing drugs or making drugs illegal, which one is going to be more beneficial to human flourishing rather than do, do people have a natural right to have drugs, right? No, they don't have a natural right to have drugs. But does cracking down on it make it harder for them to achieve their ends? And this again goes back to this fundamental difference of rights of is the use naturalis, natural rights, does it come from the lex naturalis, the natural law, in which case the fundamental precept of the natural law is to do good and um, not do bad versus within libertarianism. It's this basis of self-ownership, right? So you go to Locke or Hobbes or Rothbard or any of these classical liberal thinkers. The fundamental idea for them is that humans first own themselves and then they have a right which they assert over themselves and their property. And I think this also then connects to, I want to go back to my initial point about natural, about common goods versus private goods that right within libertarianism, fundamentally, and so within goes back to Mises in his economic philosophy, where we only look at in the acting of individuals, that within this individual, looking at individuals, there isn't the common good, right? So the market helps promote the common good. The market helps human flourishing, but it's at the service of the common good. The market itself is not a common good. The market is a way in which people achieve private goods by cooperating with one another so that they can have private goods so that these private goods can then help them achieve their ends and help the society as a whole achieve its end of the common good. And so if something, right, we have to actually conceive of people not only as individuals, but as a society as a whole, there is a formal cause to the society and a material cause to the society. And then the final cause of the society is the common good. And so we have to factor that in as well. In libertarianism, in its focus just on the individual doesn't have a way to legally account for societies as a whole. And it will miss the, the um, 
common good of the whole society. Because fundamentally within libertarianism, the purpose of the state is uh, to stop fraud, to stop the theft of property, to stop harm on another person. The purpose of the state isn't to achieve the common good. Now, if the state is achieving the common good, what will the state mostly be doing? It will mostly be stopping fraud, stopping theft, um, stopping harm on other people. But it could also, in theory, do other things as well. So it could outlaw certain vices. It could promote virtues, right? So, um, for example, if we want... Um... Hold on. I got to inter interject here. Mm -hmm. What on earth do you mean by the common good? But Like... You yeah. keep saying that libertarianism doesn't promote the common good or go to the common good. Yeah. Well, you haven't defined what doesn't... the common good is. You've given me characteristics of the common good, but ontologically speaking, how would I know the common good when I saw it? Yes. Yeah, so this I'll is read a rhetorical here question. From... Yeah, from the catechism as well. So we have the common good comprises the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or as individuals, to so reach their fulfillment here. more easily. It says allow people. Does, mm -hmm. it say, does it say implore people or allow people? Well, the common good is that condition which itself allows people, right? So allows let me people, right? Well, let, allows let me explain. Them, permits them. Oh, oh, oh let me explain. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Scott. Yeah, where, where I think you're misreading that slightly. So, right, the common good itself is that condition of the society where people are uh, more able to reach their fulfillment. So, right, if we have a society where we're going to decriminalize drugs, right? And I'm, we're not going to debate whether or not um, this is good or not. Let's say in theory, drugs make it harder for people to achieve their, their end. We can debate whether or not that's the case, but let's in theory, grant theoretically they did. Now, is right if we have a society where drugs are decriminalized now people are taking drugs you're being peer pressured to take drugs by um lots of other people that's going to make it harder to achieve your end so that would be decriminalizing drugs if theoretically it would lead to more harm to do so would actually uh hurt the common good because it would make it harder to allow people to achieve their ends. And if you go to St. Thomas, for example, let's go to his treatise on law, he's extremely clear that the state can promote virtue and directly use coercive authority to promote virtue. So for example, the state could step in and throw people in prison for using drugs because the threat of violence if you use drugs there will make you afraid of using drugs I'm not saying the state should do that. I, I generally don't think people should be thrown in prison for using drugs, but theoretically they could step in. So the fear of using drugs would scare you away from ever using drugs in the first place. So you would never become addicted to drugs in the first place, which would then allow you to achieve your end uh, more fully and more easily because you never had that impediment. And so the state using coercion in this case has actually allowed you to better flourish as a human. Cool. With that, with that, I need cool. to step in and, and close out the, the show. Um, so Kennedy does have an article later today, 1 Peter 5, The Catholic Libertarian Monarchy. And he also has a reading list with that if you want to learn more. Uh, there's also a, an article coming at 1 Peter 5 as well on integralism, which will have a reading list as well. Uh, Scotus, if you want to send me a reading list as well, I can add that to the show notes of this show. Yeah. 
And uh, so I'm sure the conversation will continue here backstage. But for now, let's let's offer up in our father. Uh, what we can all agree on is is to fight against the Marxists. So let's let's offer up our our. And can father. we and can we agree yeah. on a round of applause for Kennedy? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, de I'm dead serious. Yes, man. that guy. I, I don't know how I would deal if if I was invited into a group <laughs> where there was a bunch of people who were like, "Oh, Jeremiah, your views." I'd be like, <laughs> "Dude." So I I'm dead serious, man. I yeah. Kennedy's yes. the Thank man. you, Kennedy, for I, being such a good sport. Well, yeah, I agreed with him months. more, I think, in this episode than in any of the ones we've <laughs> had so far. And so it was it was a real pleasure to listen to both these guys. And yeah. I just wanted to say bravo to Kennedy, and also of course. Uh, Byzantine Scotus, you're. I love watching your stuff now, and it was just awesome to to listen to the exchange here. Yeah, and thank you so much, Kennedy, for doing this. I know um, we probably found like the the only issue we disagree upon, which is the first time we're meeting discussing that. I'm sure we agree on almost everything else, and so. All right, it's been good. All right, let's offer up at our Father. Nomine Patris and Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster quies in celis sanctificeto nomen tuum adveniat regnum tuum, fia voluntas tua sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie dimitri nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, ene nos inducas in tentationem sed libera nos amaro. Amen. Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Jesus is King.